We continue our series of studies from the book of Genesis and today we'll be looking at Genesis 17 to 18. So, research has shown us that mortality rate has dropped in recent years. People are living longer lives. Explains to why the retirement age has been up from 62 to 65. Longer life means a number of us here may live to our 90s or even 100. So here's a question. What do you look forward to on your 100th birthday? The Lord willing. What do you look forward to? Well, at 100, you will have probably completed your bucket list. At 100, you'd just like to cruise along. You couldn't ask for anything more at 100 than to eat well, sleep well, and uh, move your bowels well. So if somebody were to suggest for you to have a child at 100, you'd laugh your head off. Have a child at 100? Why shouldn't you be checking into the nursing home instead of preparing the nursery? Shouldn't you be getting adult diapers instead of baby diapers? Genesis chapter 17 records of a man who was about to celebrate his centennial birthday. Though it was common to live past a hundred during those times, this man, Abraham, did not share a common story with others. What is unique with Abraham? What is uncommon about him? Well, Abraham and the Lord, they were like, like this. They were close. When Abraham was 75 years old, the Lord spoke to him and promised to make him into a great nation. Not just a family or a village, but a great nation. Yet when Abraham celebrated his 80th birthday, he still had no son. Abraham was already set to name Eleazar, his servant, as the default heir of all his properties. But the Lord, the Lord told him, No, not Eleazar, because you are going to have your own son. And this was the third time the Lord reiterated his promise of an offspring to Abraham. When Abraham turned 85, he still had no son. The clock was ticking on him. And so he listened to his wife Sarah and agreed to father a child through her maidservant. And a year later, Abraham became father to Ishmael through the maidservant, Hagar. We can call Ishmael the shortcut heir because he was born out of expediency. Since then, life for Abraham seems to be on a cruise mode because he did not have another child. None at 90, none at 95. But when Abraham was about to celebrate his 100th birthday, the Lord appeared to him. Now should the Lord appear before you at 99 years old, you would expect a summon to go home, wouldn't you? But not for Abraham. The Lord wasn't done with him yet because the Lord has a pending promise to fulfill. See, more than 20 years have passed since the Lord first gave His promise to Abraham that He would be a great nation. The Lord appears now to reiterate His promise. It's like an extended guarantee. You know, the kind that stores offer to extend their promise to replace or repair the fridge or the washing machine that you purchased. The difference, however, is that the Lord is reliable. He is capable to
deliver what he has promised. The Lord tells Abraham, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. The Lord introduces himself by a new name, God Almighty, highlighting his dominion and invincible power. He calls on Abraham to loyalty and allegiance to the Lord, and he lays out conditions expected of Abraham for the extended guarantee the Lord is giving him. It is extended in that the promise extends beyond Abraham. So verse 7 tells us, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. The promise is extended down to generations after generations. So technically, it is no longer just extended guarantee or promise. It's not even lifetime guarantee, but an everlasting guarantee, an everlasting promise, because the guarantor is God Almighty. How does God Almighty reiterate his promise? Well, he makes a covenant with Abraham. The word covenant appears many times here in this chapter. A covenant is like a contract where the Lord initiates a contract between him and Abraham. Abraham, the other party that the Lord wants to bless. A covenant is like a contract too because Abraham is expected to honor terms stipulated in the covenant. To walk before the Lord and to obey him in order to enjoy the promises stated in the covenant so that the Lord will, will make him exceedingly fruitful and make him into nations and to give all the land of Canaan to his offspring and to be their God. How does God Almighty reiterate his promise to Abraham? Well, the Lord makes a covenant with him. What exactly is required of Abraham in this covenant? This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now some of us read this and ask, why circumcision? Now notice the writer does not explain to us the rationale behind circumcision or even how it is done. Uh, we are left to deduce its significance from other parts of the Bible. That circumcision represents the cutting off, it is cleansing, it is the setting apart of a people for God. Genesis and the rest of the Pentateuch was written primarily for the Israelites who are commanded to take Canaan. And so this chapter then would serve to explain to all males why they needed to circumcise their boys and all men who would join their households, their communities. Circumcision is a sign of the covenant the Lord had made with their forefather, Abraham. It is the Lord's contract with Abraham. And they are to perform circumcision in obedience to the covenant and to remember God's promise to them. You know, during our parents' time, written contracts, they were not a norm. Mutual trust was adequate in those days. 
And so it was common for a dad to set up a business in partnership with his good friend, but without any written agreement or contract. The business would run well. The profits would be distributed fairly at the end of each year. There would be no foreseen problem until, until one business partner suddenly passes away. Without a written contract, the children, the heirs, they end up fighting for sole ownership because children did not have a written contract to refer to. Worse, children from both sides were ignorant of the deep friendship and of the trust and of the love that the two original business owners shared. A contract would have been proof and a reminder of their father's history and pledge to each other. Circumcision then was an everlasting contract in the flesh of God's people to remind them of God's promise to Abraham, which was extended to them. And this reminder was important too to the Israelites who are called to take Canaan because their circumcision reminds them that the land was God's promise to Abraham and to them which tells us that when God reiterates his promise through certain covenant signs beginning with a rainbow and then circumcision for the Jews, these signs are given for our sakes because we are forgetful people. These signs are like guarantee certificates, perpetual, perpetual guarantee certs for our sakes, for us to remember God's promise. And so a covenant that we are familiar with today is the communion. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he instituted the Lord's Supper where he broke bread and gave new meaning to it. This is my body which is given for you. And when he gave the cup, said, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus' death on the cross ratifies the new covenant where he writes his laws in our minds and hearts. The new covenant where he becomes our God and we his people. And along with this covenant comes the promise of the kingdom Jesus brings with him when he returns. Because Jesus promises that he will not drink of the vine until he returns in that great wedding celebration of the marriage of Christ and the church. So it is not the present pandemic that should remind us of Christ's return. The pandemic may make us long for Jesus' return, yes, but it is the Lord's Supper that reminds us of Jesus' promise to return. The Lord reiterates his promise to Abraham through a covenant so that the future generation will remember God's promise to them. How else did the Lord reiterate his promise? By the giving of new names. Abraham and Sarai. The Lord tells Abraham, Your name shall no longer be Abraham, but you shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. What's the significance of changing of names? Have you ever changed your names? I remember my dad had two Chinese names. 
And mom explained to me that a fortune teller suggested the name change to try to change uh, the course of his fate. Because change of names symbolize change of destiny. Change of names also symbolize change of character. So recently, a lady by the name of Stevia told me that it was not her original name. She had a Chinese name, in fact. And, but when she worked at a bank, her manager changed her Chinese name to Stevia. I don't know, maybe easier for clients to remember? Or maybe it sounded powerful. It connotes capability. Who's going to handle your accounts? It's not Siumai, but Stevia. Change of names could symbolize change of character. And so people altered their names to try to embark on a new life, change their destiny. But here, it is the Lord who changes Abraham's and Sarai's names. Like a king who would give new names to his honored subjects, yet the Lord is unlike any other king. He is the Almighty God, as He has just revealed Himself. The Almighty God who is who also has the power to carve the destiny of his subjects. And the destiny of Abraham and Sarah is revealed by the meaning of their new names. Abraham to Abraham, exalted father to now father of a multitude. Sarai to Sarah, from wishful princess to now confirmed princess. So the name change signifies the Lord's pledge to his promise to them. For both Abraham and Sarah, the new names given by the Lord reiterate and confirm his promise to bless them exceedingly with kings and nations coming from their line. How else did the Lord reiterate his promise? Well, he didn't just extend his promise. He expanded it. The Lord now reveals to Abraham that Sarah would bear him a son 24 years after he promised Abraham would be a great nation. Now that Abraham is 99 years old, now that Abraham is just cruising along en route to his 100th birthday, why does the Lord do this, you ask? Well, a quick survey of Genesis alone shows us that barrenness was a constant theme. Barrenness of the land, famine, Barrenness of the womb, childlessness. So Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, they were all barren. But barrenness are not threats to the Lord's promises of provisions. They are threats, though, to the faith of God's people. And the Lord uses these to strengthen our faith. The Lord tells Abraham concerning Sarah, I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. You know how Abraham responded? Abraham fell on his face in reverence before the Lord, and he laughed to himself and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham proposed Ishmael, who just became a teenager then. Here's the heir, Lord, the shortcut heir as we know it. But the Lord replied with a no. No to Abraham's earlier plan to inherit all the, to the default heir, Eleazar. 
and no to his plan now to have the shortcut ere Ishmael receive the covenant. Because God has a real heir in his plan. He tells Abraham, you shall have a son and you shall call him Isaac. How does the Lord reiterate his promise to Abraham in his old age, in the barren state of his wife? Well, he names the son to be born. Now, how many of us parents name our children before they are born? Well, some of us do. But how many of us name our children before they are even conceived? We don't. Because we have no certainty that, there, that we will have children to begin with. But God Almighty is never uncertain. He names Abraham and Sarah's son ahead of his birth, even before his conception. And his name is Isaac, a.k.a. Laughter. He laughs. It's an intended pun to Abraham's laughter. It's also proof that God has a divine sense of humor. You know, we laugh for many reasons. We laugh at funny jokes. We laugh to uh, fend off nervousness. And sometimes we laugh in disbelief or in cynicism. We laugh to say, yeah, right, you've got to be kidding me. Well, God's not kidding Abraham when he says the man is going to have a kid at age 100. And to rub it in on Abraham's laughter, God prenames the kid Isaac. He laughs. Lesson, don't laugh at God because he will have the last laugh. Now, sometime later, the Lord appeared to Abraham while he was sitting at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Now, that sounds like retirement activity, cruising along at old age. The Lord appeared with two men. And judging from the hospitality that Abraham extended to the three men, it showed us that these men were no ordinary people. The Lord finally appeared in physical form. There was the washing of feet, there was eating, there was drinking. The Lord came down and appeared physically to Abraham to reiterate again his promise. And the Lord did that too for Sarah's sake. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Uh, how did Sarah respond to the news? She too laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have the pleasure? Well, there it is again. Laughter in disbelief and cynicism. But that's the purpose of the Lord in reiterating His promise at Sarah's old age. It is to shake off disbelief and to build up his people's faith. Now, the following conversation is just too funny and too important not to be read out. The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you, and about this time next year, Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. In other words, own up to it, Sarah. You laughed at God. But the Lord's purpose in promising a son to the barren woman 
or so that his people may respond with a wow instead of a lol, laughed out loud. Because God desires a wow, not a lol, because nothing is too hard for the Lord. So despite threats to the Lord's promise, the verse, this verse is important for God's people. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Not famine, not war, not childlessness, not the Pharaoh, not the desert, not the Canaanites. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. And so the Israelites should have learned from this account and not test the Lord asking, can God spread a table in the wilderness? Can he also give bread and provide meat for his people? He can, because nothing is too hard for the Lord. Now, some of us here may know little girl Chloe. Chloe came to Singapore in a last-ditch effort to be treated from a rare type of leukemia. The doctor saw her, tests were done, the findings were not promising, and her parents were advised to consider palliative care because an aggressive treatment may just snuff the life away from Chloe. Yet the parents hung on in faith that God can do the impossible. And miraculously, Chloe responded very well to low-dose chemotherapy. And at one dangerous point in the course of her treatment, she even bounced back from sepsis, from blood poisoning. Just a few weeks ago, Chloe celebrated her first anniversary of a successful bone marrow transplant. And we who all prayed for her, we all responded with a wow. Wow, because nothing is too hard for the Lord. As we grow in trust to the Lord, we repent of our laws and turn them into wows and praise. Now, Abraham may have laughed cynically at the Lord's promise, when the, but when the Lord returned for a personal visit to reiterate his promise of a son, we don't hear Abraham laughing anymore. And the Apostle Paul described Abraham's growing faith. He says, Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Now, thousands of years later, an offspring from Abraham's line would be born. And this offspring was himself miraculously conceived in a virgin's womb. This offspring would inherit the throne of David, reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom shall have no end. Mary could not believe it. She said, How will this be since I am a virgin? But the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. For nothing will be impossible with God. And this child born to Mary is Jesus, who would give his life on the cross for you and I. He promises forgiveness, salvation, all the blessings in Him. He promises to return and complete our salvation, usher in a new heaven and a new earth. 
So the current pandemic threatens the faith of God's people. Many have lost loved ones to the virus. Many have lost their jobs, their businesses. In the midst of such difficulties, the promise of the Lord to provide for His people still stands. And when you read of such promise, do you respond in cynicism or do you respond in faith? The promise that Jesus will return and reorder this broken world still stands. Do you respond with a lull or and say like the wicked, where is this coming that the Lord promised? Well, the promise still stands, whether it comes in our lifetime or not. Because nothing is impossible with God. Let us pray. We give thanks, Father, for the revelation of your word to us today. Teaching us and reminding us that nothing can be too difficult for you. And we give thanks that you have given us present covenant signs to remind us of the blessings that we have in Christ. And to remind us that Jesus is returning to make all things new. May we hold on to that promise unwavering in our faith. May we never respond by laughing in cynicism, but may we respond in praise. For you are worthy of our praise, of our adoration, of our trust, and our worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.